Good morning, friends. Uh, today we are going to be talking about hope and um, see kind of how that fits in our lives. So this is going to be a part one of part two lesson. So we're going to kind of go for it. So come on in and take your seats. The first thing that I'd like us to do is I think we're going to read this out loud together. Instead of a collect, we're going to read this passage that's up on the screen here, Romans 8, 24 and 25 together. Then we're going to take a moment to reflect to just quiet ourselves and get ready, uh, just to learn together, okay? So let's read this out loud together. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For hope's what we already have. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Just take a moment to reflect on that. All right, so hope. Hope is what we are talking about today. So we're just going to kind of dive into it. Um, I'm Joy, uh, Joy Unger. Andrew and I are going to be co-teaching this today, so I'll take about the first half with some ideas. He'll jump in for the second half. This is going to be a very informal kind of thing. So we like to talk. We like to answer questions. So if you have a question, please raise your hand. This is not a formal lecture, okay? We, we very much, the discussion is where so much of this gets um, thought through and learned, and we benefit from each other. So please, don't hold back there. If I were to ask you all what hope is, what are the first kind of impressions that come to your mind? What are the first responses that your brain gives you? Wishful thinking, okay. Yeah. Expectation. Optimism. Endurance. Interesting. I'm sorry, what was that? Future joy. Yeah. Yeah. Anticipation. Good. Good. Yeah. Hope, is, um, hope is a concept that we, as humans, have. It's very much in our culture, and I feel like it's something that we say all the time, like, oh, hope you all have a great day, right? Or, oh, I hope this weather holds out. We say the word hope so often that when it comes to something like this, it's hard to almost define what on earth we are talking about. So hope in our cultural context, it does have those parts of this anticipation, this um, wishful thinking perhaps, this future kind of something we hope, this desire. But hope for us today is going to be something that we tug out a little bit here. So hope, uh, and this is Joy's translation from, <laughs> this is Joy's paraphrase, from the Vices and Virtues book. So feel free to uh, speak in and chime in and correct as needed. But my paraphrase is this. Hope is this inherent pull towards something that we long for or desire. And ultimately, we think that it's within our grasp. Okay? So it's something that we long for, something we desire, and we think that we can get it. That's hope. So 
Ultimately, if you think about it, hope is neither a good thing nor a bad thing in its essence, right? It can be oriented to the good and it can be oriented to the bad. All that hope is, it reveals your innermost desires or what your uh, other people could call ambitions or dreams, your hopes for the future, right? Um, so for Harry Potter people, think of this like the mirror of Erised, okay? This is just reflecting back to you what you want, this, this desperate desire of your heart, okay? Um, it's because of this that the author of the essay in this book, that, um, the Vices and Virtues book, Charles Pinches, says, and I don't know if I'm saying his name right, says that hope is the most autobiographical of all the virtues. So if I were to ask any one of you what it is that you are hoping for right now, that would tell me far more about you than any of the other virtues if I were to question you on it, because it is so intensely personal. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so things that we can learn from that. Hope is intensely personal and it's self-focused. It has to do with you, right? So if I tell you what I'm hoping for, it's about me and what I want and what I'm hoping and wishing, perhaps. And also, it's future-oriented. If I'm hoping for something, I don't have it quite yet. If I'm hoping for something, I want it but I don't have it yet, okay? So it has this future aspect where it's um, pointing us forward and it's kind of propelling us to, to try to get something, to try to find a way to maintain or to get something or to gain it in its own right. Does that make sense? Um, how does this, so far so good, making sense of what trying to get a handle on hope is initially? Okay. Yeah, Dan. Yeah. Yes, and I think they will be. That'll be. Andrew will talk more on that in a little bit, um, not to just like field the ball to him. But, but what we're talking about initially is kind of this, um, the human nature of hope. I would say, not necessarily a Christian perspective on hope just yet. But I think that you're onto something. That there is this distinction to be made, perhaps, between um, just whatever you're born with, whatever you hope for, your personal kind of hope, and what it is that as a Christian we can say and claim as hope and hold on to. I think there is this distinction, but both have this element of uncertainty in it. Um, if it's something that I'm hoping for, I can't bet on it because I don't have it yet, but I want it to be true, right? Um, that's kind of a tricky thing. I don't know if I'm speaking to that well. Yeah, Steve. Right, right, yeah. Well, or, you know, or if, let's say, I committed some horrible crime. 
I hope I don't get caught. Well, that is a legitimate hope. I do truly hope for that. I don't know that to be true, but I'm hoping that's true. Is that hope aligned with something that's good? No, it's a desire for me to escape uh, perhaps justice or receive any sort of punishment for what I've done. But so hope really serves, it can serve both sides, right? So it's how we deal with it. Yeah, Jason. Hmm. I'd probably be like, no, I mean, I'd like it to be. You know, <laughs> you know, somebody, if they're hopeful, they've got things to say. But in the dance point, this kind of hope maybe is a little bit more aspirational. Like yes. Paul, hope Paul's talking about is more something to aspire to, maybe. Right, uh, right. Like the other virtues. Yeah. Um, I would argue that this is... There's a, there's a distinction in the book, and Andrew will talk about this. There's a distinction in the book about the type of hope that we are born with, and it's intrinsic within us, and is uh, something that you see just naturally occurring within humanity. Um, and then there is the hope that we classify as the virtue. How do you define The natural passion versus the theological virtue. Okay, so Andrew will talk to you about it being hope the natural passion versus hope the virtue, okay? Um, and so I don't want to steal too much of his thunder, but I would argue that hope in and of itself, in this form, in this raw state, is a part of us also that needs to be redeemed, right? You have to put it properly in its place for it to function the way it needs to. Otherwise, it's just a part of uh, what we're born with, which is a sinful construct, right? So it's in need of redemption uh, to be able to put it in its place so it doesn't serve something that is ultimately not good. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes, very much so. And that would be, um, I don't know if it's the exact verse, but at the end of Hebrews, I have Hebrews 6, verse 19. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into this inner place of the curtain. So Hebrews 6 is talking all about the certainty that we have and this hope and that this is ultimately our salvation through Jesus. That is the certainty that we have. Um, and. Yes. 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 Andrew's going to look it up. Don't worry. Just we all have Bibles, so feel free to pull it out, guys. Yeah. While we're while we're looking this up, Bruce. Yes. Yes, very much so. How does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, that's a great thing. Okay. This kind of ties in with this next point, and when Andrew finds, when and if he finds the verse, which I hope he does, you will get it. Okay. Pause on Bruce. Verse. So Hebrews 11.1 1 is, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay. Whatever you want to make of that. <laughs> um, okay, so there are some, I would say that there is what I call a progression of hope, and it goes a little something like this. Um, we talk about these virtues, and in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, we hear this. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love, right? We, this comes after the whole 
love is patient, love is kind, one of the, arguably one of the most commonly understood and quoted portions of scripture. But at the very end, Paul finished it up, finishes this up with faith, hope, and love, and talks about how love is the greatest. So um, the way I kind of understand it, and the way I think about this, is that, um, again, the author of this article, Charles, states that faith is in the intellect, and it so regards what is thought or known. Okay, so faith is in the intellect, and it regards what we know or believe, and hope is about our appetite. Hope is about our appetite, and it's about what we want. So hope can and does exist without having faith, but without faith, any hope that you have is naturally going to be as treacherous and unwieldy as what is your, inside your heart. Um, and so faith, if you have that faith, faith is the precursor for this, um, it serves as your bedrock for what you need. It serves as this bedrock um, for a Christian life that helps us to center ourselves and to put hope properly in its place. And, and what is properly in its place, hope properly in its place, I would argue is that our hopes would line up for what God hopes for us too, or what God hopes for the world. Um, I think, from my understanding, that's closer to having the mind of Christ. It's not suddenly we go from joy saying, oh, I'd really like to have this perfectly manicured yard, or whatever it, my desire is. Um, it's springtime. I was working in the yard yesterday, so you can understand. Um, it goes from whatever selfish desire I might want, or that um, not even necessarily bad, but just not the greatest good. And hope in its place, informed by faith as this bedrock, makes it suddenly, what, what does God hope for me? What is my ultimate hope? What should I be hoping for me? What should I be hoping for you? What should I be hoping for my neighborhood? Um, that's what enables this to kind of function well. Without faith, all of that is just going to be, um, it can kind of be as capricious as your heart. What feels right? And honestly, sin a lot of times feels right. So our hopes probably are going to be just as conflicted as what our hearts are. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think that's a great way of putting it. That's a great way of putting it. And, you know, truly, where do we put our confidence? Our confidence is in the Lord and what his promises are for us. That's what we can cling to. And so that's, um, yeah, that's a very important tie-out. It's not like we're hoping and who knows what will happen. If it's Christian hope and we're hoping, saying, uh, I believe that Jesus is Lord, my ultimate hope is in him, and I trust that. My hope is in him. It's more certain than saying, I hope it doesn't rain, but I'll bring my umbrella, like Dan was saying. Um, it, it, it contains more certainty than that. Did someone have their hand raised? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sure. 
Well, well, yes, indeed. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and I guess I would think of, um, perhaps it's worth talking about, when I say faith, I would say that um, there is, you can have faith in the Lord, but ultimately, no matter what, there is this step out in faith that we say, where it's, you know, I believe this to be true, and yes, there's warrant for me to say that, here's the scriptures, here is my own personal experience of who Jesus is and and what he's done, but ultimately, there is a point in time where you're just going to have to step out and say, yeah, I believe this, and I know this to be true. And it's that last little step that's the stumbling block for most of the world, right? Um, you can debate what you want to about scripture. You can debate about history and what that, who was the historical Jesus, all that stuff. But it's that step out in faith where you take it as your own, and you claim that, and you cling to it. That's the part of faith that informs this kind of uh, hope, that certainty. Yeah, you can't put your finger on it, but you know that it will happen. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess something that I have to explain more to is how do you get faith or hope like to be rooted in action? Mm-hmm. Because like something that I pray for is like I was having a conversation with someone about uh, like the refugee crisis and I was saying, shouldn't we as a church be doing something for these people? And he responded with, well, no, because we just got to hope that things like things will get better. Right. Sure. Yep. That'll be next week. Yeah, we'll, we're we're going to hammer that home for sure. But you are bringing up an important point. Uh, hope being forward pointed, goal directed, it spurs us into action. Uh, and that's one of the things I'm going to loosely talk and mention as a talking point. But it is something we're going to dwell on, not this lesson, but hope 2.0, is what do you do? How do you give hope legs? What does that mean? It's a virtue. That's great. But it has to be more than, I hope things turn out fine for you, or I hope the refugee crisis gets better. <laughs> Shrug. You know what I mean? Like, it has to be more than that for it to be a virtue, right? Um, and, and we are going to develop that, but that's a really important tie-out that you brought there. Yeah, Dan. Good. Okay, we're gonna. I'm gonna use this to transition right into this next point here. Okay, and I call this uh, the boundaries of hope. So, mind you, if you have anything that we want to tie back into, we can tie back into it. Uh, but I call this the boundaries of hope here. Okay, and let's have it pulled up. So, hope is right there in the middle, and then presumption lies on one side, and despair lies on the other. 
like anything in life, um, it is so easy to go astray, right? So I would say that hope, uh, informed by faith, this healthy hope, is your healthy and the proper expression of your faith, right? It's this middle ground. Now, when you, tr- when you stray too far to one side or the other, you're going to get in trouble. So the first way you can stray is by going too far to the side of presumption. And what's the problem with presumption? Okay, so presumption diminishes this need that we have for God's grace, and it cheapens his redemptive work in us and in the world and being what we can do and being wrought through it. It's saying, eh, it's not so bad. We're doing fine. It's this sense that I'm doing fine on my own. We're fine. Or that, yeah, God will just make it better. No big deal. I don't have to worry so much about what I do or if I'm in the right with this because, eh, God will take care of it. That's a problem. That's a problem. Notice that we've already gone too far over into self. How many times you say I, how many times that's rooted in this self and it's fine kind of sense, right? It goes uh, frequently, I've found that it goes hand in hand with being hard-hearted and not really caring so much, okay? Presumption. On the other end of this, uh, the other side of this, if you take hope to the other extreme or you push it out of proportion in the other way, you get despair. You get this sense of um, it reveals a lack of trust in God, a lack of trust in the good and God's power to be able to do something and God's love for you, perhaps, or your worthiness to receive it. Uh, Aquinas describes this as the most dangerous of all sins, actually, because despair stops you from acting. It says there's no point. There's no point. There's no point. God can't fix this. There is no hope to be had here. So, on either end, you have hope gone awry. You have this despair where it leads to inaction and um, just sadness and a lack of faith. And presumption, which is a lack of faith in its own by saying it's not really a problem. It's not really so bad. And I would argue that both sides of this are a place to be pitied, right? Both sides, um, both sides of this fail to understand truly um, the work that God wants to do, his love for you. It, it's a lack of understanding of what faith and hope and love ultimately is. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. I would say it's really, really common for people to have, uh, for people, it, it, I know I've experienced it, it's very common to bounce to one end or the other without even realizing it. And most of the time, you don't even realize you're there until after the fact, right? So it's really, really common to start getting in a mindset that's not uh, reflecting the hope that we have set before us, this ultimate good, this promise that we have from the Lord, this certainty, and we go off the rails. It's also um, fairly common that depending on what your default settings are. So let's imagine that you're just born and you're, you're a unique combination of nature and nurture and who you are, right? Your default setting could always be to one side or to the other. That's, that's fine. Just understand that about you and maybe do some internal self-checks going, hmm, this isn't, is this sounding like hope? Is this playing on my fears? Is this playing on my pride? Either way, you can kind of go off line there. Um, does that make sense? Yeah? How are we on time? Do we need to tag out you? Okay, we're going to tag out, so Andrew's going to jump in with his section here. Um, 
the one thing I'd add about presumption, um, I think you see, uh, as Father Martin kind of talked about in his sermon this morning, you see Jesus avoiding presumption when Lazarus is raised from the dead. The Jesus who knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead is still weeping because he is moved in that moment. I think presumption happens, like Joy said, when you are aloof from actual problems. It's almost like you don't even need to hope because you haven't actually brought yourself into the reality of um, the struggles of this life. So um, I'm going to now resolve all of our questions about natural passion and theological virtues. So everybody lives with this assumption of a goal with a possible future that we look forward to, that we think is attainable. Um, even uh, my, the thing I thought of just now, um, even Cubs fans always hope springs eternal, right? <laughs> because presumably any given year a team can win the World Series. And we have seen that hope doesn't always, doesn't always prove wrong. Um, but this is either something that's not yet, something we want to achieve, or even something we'd like to maintain. It might be something that we grasp but want to continue to grasp, not just, I'll have this thing, but I'll have this thing again. Hope is sort of maybe not just future-oriented, but just something you don't possess. Once you possess this thing, you're not hoping for it. But if you want it, if you don't yet possess it, either in longevity or in reality, um, you're hoping for it. Apparently, John Paul II said, that natural hope of youth is a gift to us all, right? Like we look at kids and they always seem hopeful they haven't become embittered yet. Um, elections, and as I learned while watching the newest Star Wars movie, also revolutions, are built on hope, <laughs> on a candidate's ability to show you that, that what they believe you want. Both of these campaigns were built on the idea that there is a thing that you want that we do not have right now, either yes we can or make America great again. Both of these are built on, there's something we don't have, and I am the best person to make that happen. Most marketing is built on hope. All of the communication we do is saying, there's a thing you don't yet have, but you want it, and I can help you get it. This is the, the bedrock of all of this idea. And the reason it's the bedrock of everything is because everybody experiences something they don't have and wanting it. Hope is just a natural thing. And like Joy pointed out, Hope is a neutral activity. It's the thing that you hope for that makes it sort of bad or good. Hoping to elude the police is one thing. Um, hoping for the mind of Christ is another. Um, but unlike other natural passions, hope can easily be turned into the theological virtue. That's the thing. If we hope on the right thing, the hopefulness of ourselves can be easily rightly ordered. The, the writer of the article points out that, you know, justice, if you're not looking for justice, it's no longer justice, right? Like if you long for oppression, you're not longing for justice. But hoping for, hoping for you know, any number of things can easily be redirected, and that, that part of you that hopes can be redeemed in that sense. So this hope, the theological virtue, everything that matters is the object of our hope. That's what makes it a theological virtue. That's what makes it good, is are we hoping for the thing we ought to be hoping for? Have our minds been redeemed? Have our imaginations been inspired to what God wants us to hope for, to the proper end that we should be looking for? So the question is, what should be the object of our hope? Well, ultimately, it's, it's God. But more specifically, we can look at what the creeds say. The creeds end with this, with this hope. I hope in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Or in the Apostles' Creed, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. The thing that we hope for 
is our new future. And our new future is not disembodiedness. It is not death. It is not the sweet release from this world. It is, in fact, the redemption of this world. Um, this is from, from Romans. And I think this is really important, so I'm going to read it out loud, even though it's right in front of you. Um, and I'm using N.T. Wright's uh, translation, uh, in case it seems unfamiliar to you. Creation, you see, was subjected to pointless futility, not by its own volition, but because of the one who placed it in this subjection, in the hope that creation itself would be freed from its slavery to decay, to enjoy the freedom that comes when God's children are glorified. Let me explain. We know that the entire creation is groaning together and going through labor pains together up until the present time. Not only so, we too, who have the first fruits of the Spirit's life within us, are groaning within ourselves as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our body. We were saved, you see, in hope. But hope isn't hope if you can see it, for who hopes for what they can see? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it eagerly, but also patiently. I, I think that's what our hope has to be. And I think hope springs from a recognition that something isn't the way it should be, right? To, to use the Cubs analogy again, the hope for a Cubs World Series comes from 108, 18, from a century of losing. That, which is quite a legacy, a century of losing is the thing that creates the hope. You notice something isn't as it should be, and so you hope for it to be different. Because once you, once you possess things the way they ought to be, once it is on earth as it is in heaven, you don't need to hope anymore. And I think all of us experience or hear people talk about, well, we just have to wait for the life of the world to come, and then our souls will be freed, and who cares about the earth, who cares about systems, who cares about, you know, who cares about all these other things, because we just have to wait for our own individual personal salvation. But I think any of us who spend time in the world recognize that it is more than just individuals that need redemption. The whole world has been subject, subjected to sin, and so we know that the whole world awaits redemption, and so our hope has to be nothing less than the redemption of the whole world. It can't simply be for us to be different. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul is arguing for the resurrection of the dead, and he uses Christ's resurrection as the basis, says this, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? A beautiful thing we'll say on Easter morning. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it is based on, this is where I think this distinction between faith and hope makes sense. We have faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have faith that Christ has died and Christ has risen. That's a thing we believe, and because of that, because of his resurrection, because we are anchored in him being raised from the dead, we can have hope that we too, and in fact all of creation, will be redeemed. So we have faith in a thing that happened. We have hope in a thing that, because of that, will happen to us. Does that make sense, that distinction? Um, that was helpful for me as, you know, eight months ago, the schedule was put out, and I find out that Joy and I have two weeks on hope, and there's, two, you know, there's faith beforehand, and I think, I don't know what we're going to say after, <laughs> after the lesson on faith. Um, so our hope is Christological. Our hope is rooted in something. And that's, I think, what informs it to be more than just wishful thinking. It's more than just, well, I, I hope that everything turns out all right. I hope in this because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, again, I didn't include a lot of pictures, but I had to have a picture of N.T. Wright. 
and then I had to add a little halo on him afterwards. Um, this is what he says this in um, Surprised by Hope. Um, I worked really hard on that too. <laughs> if the promised final future is simply that immortal souls leave behind their mortal bodies, then death still rules. Since that is a description not of the defeat of death, but simply of death itself, seen from one angle. If our hope is disembodied, cloudy reality, then death is still death, and that's just a description of dying, right? When people die, we believe any variation of things about where they are, but we don't have hope in that because our hope is in the resurrection. Jesus was not raised into cloudy, disembodied spookiness. He was resurrected into a physical, real, actual body that the disciples could touch and that could eat and that would, you know, go to breakfast with them and would walk with them along the road. This is the reality that we look forward to. And so the object of our hope is really important. And we'll talk next week about how that enters into our lives, because I think that is really important. But before we even get to how do we hope in real life now, we need to know what the thing is that we're hoping for. And if it's anything less than resurrection, we're not following Christian teaching for centuries. We're following some sort of other thing that is kind of related to Christianity, but is probably more inspired by ghost stories than by the New Testament. Do you have any questions or comments or things? Yeah. It's a little bit put down a spot, but like, Please do. When, as soon as you start talking about hope based on Martin's sermon, this mm -hmm. morning, the resurrection jumped immediately. Yeah. And this is a concrete promise that we're given. So the faith hope coupling works mm -hmm. really well. Yeah. But I'm a little bit struggling to come up with another one. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, you know, what do you need more than Jesus? <laughs> uh, good. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like something we hope for where we have that same very specific faith, very specific promise. You know, a lot of, I'm teaching Old Testament to kids, and like, mm -hmm. the, the book we're using is always like, yeah, God delivered in this way, but don't teach the kids that he yeah. <laughs> right? Like, he right. might, and you have uh, some faith that he might, but yeah. if he doesn't just show up and solve the problem this way, that's also fine. Yeah. So that seems to make this thing a little bit tricky. Like, yeah. honestly, like the resurrection, our resurrection is not falsifiable. So Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think... don't have the instance of like, well, sometimes this, sometimes this. Yeah. <laughs> I think... Um, don't anybody tell me Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think we get into a... It's tricky because sometimes we say hope is a thing we can't be sure of, and faith informs hope. What I think of when you talk about Old Testament and, and God delivering is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or yeah. what other Hebrew names? Yeah. Joy always yells, because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are their Babylonian names. So they, they have Hebrew names. Those are their Hebrew names. <laughs> this is Joy's thing, if you want to hear about this. Anyways, when they go in front of Nebuchadnezzar, they don't say God's going to deliver us. They say, God can deliver us, but maybe he won't, and we're not going to bow down to your statue anyways. And I think that's what martyrs, I think the martyr's hope is, is that impressive one. It's the one that says, maybe God's going to save me because I believe because the thing that I believe in is a God who can deliver and who will vindicate me either way. But this is where the, the sort of, but maybe he won't, maybe I'm going to burn alive right now. Um, and I don't know. Again, to use sports analogies, because this is helpful for me, because we're right into about to reach the NHL playoffs. In 2015, the Edmonton Oilers won the draft lottery, and they drafted Connor McDavid, who is by far the greatest hockey player of our generation. This is important for you to know. When that happened... 
it was clear all free agents started coming to our team. We got a new general manager. We got a new coach who all came explicitly saying, we want to play with Connor McDavid. There is a faith there that Connor McDavid is an excellent hockey player. I still hope the Oilers will win a Stanley Cup. It would be very disappointing for me to have a sort of Dan Marino situation where we have this excellent player and never win a title. I'm sorry, is Hal here? Oh, okay, I'm sorry, Hal. Um, I'm sorry to Miami Dolphins fans. I think that's the difference, right? You have faith in a thing that you know to be true, and you hope for something that, that is based on that thing you know to be true, but is not quite graspable yet. Um, yeah. Uh, just to kind of I think hope is always driven by a picture of what we perceive to be good, right? Like hope is always motivated by, motiv motivated by our vision of what the best possible good is. And so faith informs our Christian hope. Um, and, but ultimately, anybody can sort of imagine this is a best possible good. So uh, before the World Series, or in Game 7 of the World Series, when Cleveland tied it up with a home run, my hope is that the Cleveland Indians would have won in, in, over, in the extra innings, right? Like that was, <laughs> yikes. I didn't expect that response. Um, so clearly my picture of the best possible good is different than the picture of, the, of everybody here of the best possible good. But it's, and sermon illustrations for a week to come about sort of the Cubs winning and God's deliverance were very difficult for me. Um, <laughs> you didn't hear those in Cleveland. But how, so hope can, you're right, hope can be used towards hoping for a, le, a greater or a lesser best possible good. And so our job as Christians is to allow our hope, that natural thing that we're going to do either way, to be informed as much as possible by what God's picture of the best possible good is. Yeah, Joel. Yeah. Yes. In the, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, so when I say I'm going to hope, I'm participating in my noun vir virtue hope. Um, and that noun virtue hope is always informed by something. And so Again, the, the idea is to allow our imaginations. Um, James K.A. Smith talks about this in You Are What You Love, that by habituating virtue, by, by creating habits and disciplines, that's what slowly changes our hearts to long for, to love good things. And I think we only, as hope is sort of from our guts, I think we only inform our guts what is good through discipline. We can't just like, using our minds, will ourselves to sort of love good things. We have to habituate good things. Um, and that's what then 
changes our hope. Because how many times have you heard a sermon that sort of tells you you should want to do this thing, and you're like, yes, I should want to do this thing, and then you leave and you don't do any of those things? It's because our minds can't change our hearts automatically. We often have to constantly do things to inform ourselves. So I can tell you guys to hope in the resurrection, but that won't instantly make you hope in the resurrection. It requires us to to submit ourselves over time to grind away the sort of sin out of our lives that will then allow us to imagine that that future good. Yeah, Mark. Why are you doing this anyways? Yeah. Yeah, if, if, if you don't have a picture of what, this is sort of circular, right? Like if you don't have a picture of, of Jesus, you can't then want to do disciplines to become more like Jesus. But it's doing disciplines to become more like Jesus that helps you understand Jesus better to inform you to do, di- I mean, it's, oh, the bell, the bell says it's time. Oh, the bishop is here. Okay. The bishop is here. I got to hurry. So, um. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Keep your questions for the next time. Anything that we missed, we'll touch Yeah. On. Thank you.